Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time. Because strength is never a weakness. Welcome to Ecobolic Radio with your host, Derek Woodski. In today's episode, I get to speak with author and strength coach Brian Cron. Brian has excelled with the pen and the barbell for more than 20 years, having written for magazines like Muscle and Fitness and online forums like Testosterone Nation. We talk about the industry, the changes, and how to adapt to a technological media. All right, Brian, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a long time since we sat down in Calgary, Alberta over some very strange yet yet unique food food combinations. And I like knock you off guard. Yeah, I totally throw you under the bus right from the beginning. And uh, it's funny, but I hope you're doing well. I hope uh, things are good. Yeah, I survived that meal, so I'm I'm doing well. I'm thriving. <laughs> I tell you what, I was thinking about that today because I'm like, oh man, I get to talk to Brian today. When was the last time that we sat down and had a convo? And I'm like, oh yeah, it was in Calgary at a really strange uh, Asian restaurant that served a type of mashed meat that looked like a turned inside out squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> really? but, you know, that's, it's Filipino fast food, I'm told. It was Filipino fast food, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, man. I tell you what, that was um, that was an interesting meal, but the conversation was pretty good. <laughs> that was terrible. I was so embarrassed. I was, you know, I was new to the city myself. I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll meet Derek and I'll take him someplace nice for lunch. We'll have this great, you know, meal and connect. And I didn't know where to go, and I wanted to stay near the airport, so we wound up there. And I'm like, oh boy, yeah. This isn't- <laughs> but on a side note, it did make for a very poignant memory. So it's uh, <laughs> so, so I can't complain too much. So how's Calgary treating you? You've been there now a couple of years since you moved back from New York when your wife was going to med school. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, been we broke three years now, so it, it's good, man. It's uh, it's definitely a winter city, as you as you well know. So yeah. we're, we got you know six months of the year we got snow and cold, but it's you know it's pretty. It's nice. I still miss the big city, but man, it's okay. Yeah, and Calgary is sort of a funny city, right? Like my brother went to school there 20 years ago. Obviously, it was close to where I grew up. And and Calgary is funny to me because the population is a lot larger than the city feels in terms of being able to get around. It's sort of bizarre. So like in terms of the culture, like it's funny when I think back to – like my introduction to meatheads, like if I'm, if I'm like, what is a meathead in real life? It was like 16 electric Ave in Calgary. Like, <laughs> right? oh yeah, that's du- douchebag row. Yeah. Douchebag row. Like it was where all the bars were, you know? Yeah. And, and for people who have never been to Calgary, a minor, uh, imagine a city that gets down to like minus 30 in the winter and everybody is standing outside the club in t-shirts because they don't want to take their fucking jacket inside. <laughs> That's about it, man. It's uh, it's funny. What what strikes me about it so much is I don't know if it's because it's like a boom bust town with the with the oil economy. Yep. Is that it? Just feels like it's a three to one male to female ratio here. So it's I don't know. I always kind of feel like I'm I'm in a male prison. Like it's kind of like it's Oz, you know. And I'm just it is. You know, I'm going to get shanked right away, but you know, it's just. Uh, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. And for a city of roughly a million people. Yeah, the dating scene is weird because if you're to if you were to go on a dating app, you're like, wow, there's a lot of beautiful women in this city. And then you start to think, 
okay, that's weird because they're all dating someone. So why is there so many on a dating app? Right. (laughs) So, so, you know, all the women there that are not only are they beautiful, but they know they got like a three to one option. So they keep their options open 24 seven. And I'm not saying it's an unfaithful city, but I don't know if I'm looking for my next wife in Calgary, Alberta. Oh God, no, no. No, It's strange. (laughs) So since we've completely crushed that city, (laughs) but in all honesty though, like the one thing that people have to understand, like how we crossed paths is sort of an interesting story from my perspective. So and and it's something that I wanted to definitely get into with you in terms of of your perception in the industry. So for those that haven't had a chance to to meet you or read your stuff, we met because you were editing my articles at the time for T Nation, if that's correct, correct. Right. Yep, that that's correct. I desperately wanted you to write for, a, yeah. for them and I pursued you like a <laughs> <laughs> like a Calgary man after a woman. Is, is, yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly it. And, and at the time I was working for the Polican group and, and it's funny cause I'll tell you my side of what happened after that. And you'll appreciate it cause you know the same people, but I had been asked to write for TMAG, but it, it's funny because when I was asked to finally write for them, you know, if I went back almost eight or nine years previous, I was already trying to get their attention, but it took like, mm-hmm almost a decade for somebody there, which eventually was you to be able to be like, Hey, there's a guy that we need to have write some articles. And so we ended up writing an initial two. And then I wrote a third about IFBB pro Ben Pikulski that never got published. Yeah, that's a good one too. Was, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and that was the last one that you edited for me before we actually finally got to really sit down in person And I remember being like really torn, like not understanding why that never got published at the time. And when we finally sat down in New York, you had a really interesting take on why that last article didn't make that particular website or that media form. And is that something that you're okay to talk about right now? Or is that too still hush hush? I don't even, I don't know, unless I made something up, I can't remember what I said. So when we were talking about it is there was an editorial meeting in a sense where I was too tied in with another brand and another company. And my first two articles had got really good reception, but they didn't want to put me up as one of their guys. Yeah. Like that was a while ago. So it's a little, that's those kind of politics. I mean, you know, full disclosure, I was my my title there was like assistant editor. So I mean, I was very I was at the lowest of the food chain there. So like my job was just that, like editing articles and but also finding new people because especially like 5 years or so ago, like the demand for content just exploded. Right. And that particular, you know, that particular website always had like for since its inception, it always had like a, a very small handful of stable of writers. Right. And, you know, they just got consistent content out of them. But as content demands grew and all of a sudden, like publishing once a week was just not going to cut it. Right. You know, they, you know, they, you know, they needed more and more content. And so we started, you know, trying to find new people. And it wasn't my job to find new people, but it was just obviously if someone good approached me or if I knew someone good, it'd be behoove me to introduce them to the website. So, um, but yeah, I do recall, um, there's always a lot of politics, you know, I, I probably should get into it too much, but there's always a lot of politics and egos and stuff like that. And there are some, there are some contributors there who don't like each other, you know, and there's, there's all the types of, you know, the supplement industry, especially everyone's right. so 
fucking dirty, you know, <laughs> dirty, dirty, dirty. Yeah. There was some underlying politics there as I recall. And, um, but yeah, I, I will say it I'll, I'll unabashedly. I, I, I still refer to some of those that, especially those first couple articles you, you had sent me, I use them in my own programming all the time. It's just, <laughs> I don't give credit to you at all. I, th- no, I think I do sometimes. But. Yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely uh, credited in that one blog that you did that was excellent. And it was it was one of those interesting things. Like, So what was weird about that time from my perspective is I was working for the Poliquin Group, which again, at the end of the day, regardless of what was painted on the sign out front, was a supplement company. And it's a, it's what a lot of people don't understand in the industry. Um, and we've seen it over the course of 20 plus years, but at the end of the day, even prior to the internet magazines were basically shell companies for supplement sales. Totally. Totally. Right. And then that shell company becomes the internet, which just sped up the process. So all of a sudden, instead of waiting, you know, a month for, for muscle fitness, um, or men's health or flex magazine, if you're a little more hardcore, right? So if you were, if you had a little more of the bro blood running through you, you were a flex subscriber instead of a muscle fitness subscriber. And, uh, and when, when you waited for that, those magazines were being driven by supplement sales. Um, totally. Totally. Right. And so when I look back, especially when I look at, say, the Poliquin era, when I wrote the first article, which was the escalating density variation based off of Charles Staley, yep. and I think I pronounced his last name correctly. I always forget if there's an N in there. I hope he doesn't <laughs> crucify me. But yeah. when, when, I, you know, when I look at Charles Staley and his EDT and how I used a bit of a variation of EDT for that article, that was the first time I got fired from the Poliquin crew. <laughs> 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 and so, and it's so there I was, like this guy just trying to build the Poliquin brand by by getting our name out there as an author now and as a coach. And I, you know, I was so proud of this article that we put together for T Mag. Yeah. And like literally, so it, I can't remember. I think it posted on a Wednesday, and on Thursday, Charles Poliquin wants my head. Right. For two reasons, and th- this is how the industry works. One. He's the figurehead of Poliquin Group, so only he should have the right to, to write for TMAG or to write for anyone, right? So, so, so that was strike number one. <laughs> strike number two is he believed that he created escalating density training. Like he created it, right? So God forbid that anybody does more work in a shorter period of time without giving credit to one individual, <laughs> right? So, so there I am. So I'm fired, apparently. Um, oh, fuck. Yeah, but yeah. thank God he didn't actually own the company. So, so I make it through that shitstorm, and then yeah. we write the second article. And the second article, again, was also the second time that I was fired from the Polycon group. <laughs> <laughs> does that suck i mean i yes. think you should fire me at least twice too and i i, I hated that like you get, it's, it's really unnerving when you get fired on the spot like that I mean, you have bills to pay you got family it's you like get, come on man it's exactly it and and you know it's funny so so every time that i wrote an article and you edited it and we put it in tmag i got fired right every single time so finally by the time the ben pakalski article was ready to go to print for tmag I was good to go because Charles had left the company. So I'm like, fuck, finally an article that I'm not going to get fired for. 
inevitably I got fired a third time, and that time it stuck. <laughs> third, third time's the charm. Third time's the charm, right? And, uh, but, but that is the chaos of the fitness industry when you break oh. it down, right? And you've seen it from so many perspectives. And that was one of the things I really wanted to get you talking about today a little bit is just how the because it's your world it's it's the one that you exist in and you're really connected to it how do you sort of navigate the online author coach program developer side of this industry like how do you how do you work through this for those that are even thinking about getting into it well uh, honestly i don't write uh for for websites or magazines too too much anymore it um maybe like ah man maybe a few times a year and just just you know if it's a new publication and i know the guy like it's a, or if it's you know a favor to an, an editor i like yep it but um there is it is a great way though to get your name out there especially get on a big website you know whether it's a teenation or a bodybuilding.com or or something it's a great way to get your ideas out there get your name out there and uh kind of slowly build build an audience and then but it's not like it's like all things internet. It's not like back in the day, right. you know. Like you know, back in the day, oh, man, people built huge businesses just off of being a teenage writer, and uh, right because they could have links to their blog, like backlinks, and pitch their products and do all this shit, um, and all that. You know that those days are largely done. So. Um, again, I mean, you can still get your name out there, but you can't really have. It's not quite like the, the salad days of before, where people were just cashing in. Yep. Um, but as for me right now, like I just I do a lot of coaching, just on like Gen Pop online coaching, and uh, right, you know, putting together some books and stuff like that. But not a lot of magazine work anymore. It's just a mainly a dollars and cents thing. But uh, yep. Now, do you see the magazine yeah. industry? eventually just completely leaving us print definitely yep. definitely um which you know what like that kind of i don't say it makes me sad but it does, it does make me a little bit sad because like i don't know i remember the first time i actually got into i think was it men's health or i don't even ever got into print men's health if if if, if i did it was just like a throwaway quote Yep. But I think even just the first time I got into print muscle and fitness. Right. Even you know, like I was just you fuck, I was really proud of that. Yep. Whereas when you're and I don't even think I got paid very much, but the you know, as opposed to you get printed on a website, it just doesn't have the same at least for me, it didn't have the same kind of cachet. I couldn't like look at it's not the same taking your laptop to your mom, hey look, you know, as opposed to bringing the magazine and saying one hundred percent. And yeah. and I don't know if if the generation that is now coming up even has this same thought process. Totally not. Totally, totally they probably, not. They probably, heard, they probably heard that they go, This guy's fucking retarded. But yeah, like no, like that's yeah. exactly it. They'd be just like, Oh, you got printed in a magazine? Oh that, check this out. <laughs> I got forty seven thousand likes on this photo today, right? And you're just like yeah. You don't get it. We come from a generation where even to get printed in a magazine was a process. You had to submit something that somebody or some copy editor or somebody then translated into words on a piece of paper that yeah. went through this huge bulletin board process, then got squeezed together, punched through a machine and, and probably fucking Mississauga, Ontario, and yeah. along with the potato chips, right? So wherever factories in Canada were cranking out shit. So, so they, they turned it into a magazine in Mississauga, Ontario. And it, you literally had to wait months 
for that to show up, yeah. right? <laughs> Depending on how far in advance they wrote it. And, and people don't remember the details, right? Like bodybuilding magazines were always printed or always titled one month ahead of what the actual month was. Oh, more than that, it seemed. It seemed to be like you'd be getting Christmas shit in July. That's exactly it. So you'd be like, go and grab the October issue of Flex, and it would say like December 1995, and it was October 1995. And and you're like, that's really weird. And at the time, you could never figure out why. And it was because, because sometimes shit got fucked up, and it took them two months (laughs) to get the issue out, right? And, and these and these are big time productions, you know, that sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. So when your name actually shows up, or or better yet, in your case, a whole article where you flip that magazine open and you're yeah. like, "This is real. I can hold this. If the power goes out tomorrow, this will be on a bookshelf fifty years from now." Yeah. And, it, uh... Yeah. And, and that's what I, I sort of want you to talk a little bit about because you come from that generation and then you transitioned by, by necessity to the technological variation of it. Yeah. Like I kind of came up at, at the really when print was already kind of on its way down and, and a, you know, like I was always, a, you know, a bodybuilding magazine fan and I was always a recreational kind of gym rat. And then I became a personal trainer and by wanted to write articles on the side. Yep. Especially when you got that first one published and you get that check six months later for 200 bucks. You're like, whoa, you know, this is legit. This is a business. And then, and then it's like anything, it's like making sausage. It's very much a process and you can start banging out articles pretty quick. And I know, um, you know, my, my friend and mentor, you know, TC Loma, he, for sure, like he paid his, you know, he was banging out articles like, you know, four or five a week just because he was an excellent writer and proficient and right. And it's a process. It's a formula. Yep. Um, but again, I kind of came up very much more in the in the digital age. I had I did a little bit in print, um, but just writing a lot more for web, you know, for websites and and yeah. I mean, it, it just when you see like it 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 gets a little bit monotonous though. And right. uh, when you see you can make a lot more money like doing coaching and and you know having a busy blog, it's sort of your attention gets diverted that way. Yep. But uh, I don't know. That's a good yeah. question because this is the world that you've started to make a living out of. And, yeah. and I guess the question that I have is why is it that, say, a blog post um, or program development is so lucrative right now online? Because now before I, I let you answer, I'm, I'm going to throw in my two cents. Why? Because it's Ecobolic Radio. But it's like <laughs> – <laughs> But my soapbox stance is, is there's people like yourself that have paid the dues in this industry and know how to do the job, but you're having to compete directly against fucking asshats that absolutely should not be guiding or taking money from people. And so sort of two-part question is, why do you think it is such an easy process for some to make a living? And two, how do you compete against the people that you know are not really in your league, but because of social media, they're direct competition. Well, you know, on the one hand, you know, I, I definitely, I see people way, way, way more, you know, knowledgeable and skilled and experienced than me who are, who are doing really well. Yep. Um, you know, perfect example, like a Ben Pakulski, I mean, dude can be in the Olympia. He knows his stuff, you know, right. For sure. He, you know, he's doing, you know, he's doing great online and, 
And even old school, old school guys like you know Tom Venuto, you know yep. burn fat, feed the muscles, does well, and he's as legit as they come. And so yeah, I look to people like that, and I'm like, all right, you know, they're still, still, you know, ex- yeah, like expertise, expertise is still being rewarded and, and stuff like that. Yep. But and definitely on fucking Instagram, it's a, it's a gong show. Yes. it's a, it's a, you know, it's just. You know, Photoshop picks, you know, buy my 12 week product or fat loss product, you know, and it's all the, the, um, uh, what's the tactics to, you know, gaining followers and, and, and stuff like that. That, if you let it bother you, it can really deflate your tires. And I do hear a lot from people, um, just getting into this. They're like, how do I, how do I get followers? How do I get attention? How do I get attention? And, and, you know, you you kind of say, well, you have to get, you have to deserve that attention first. You have to get pretty good, you know. Yep. You don't have to be the best, but you don't have to, you know, you have to get get results with your, you know, with your clientele, with yourself, you know, become a good writer, become put out content that's worth reading, right. you know, that helps people. Right. It doesn't just, you know, show off your your freaking body and, you know. So, uh, so I guess to answer your question, I mean, you know, I still see so much Still see a lot of really good people doing well. Yep. That it, that it kind of it gives me some aspirational, you know, spring in my step that I don't get disillusioned. Yep. Um, but I do know a lot of people who who just get so disenchanted with oh, so and so doesn't know anything and they make so much money and right. You know, you hear that over and over again. And I always my thing is like you never fucking know how much money someone makes. I mean. Yeah. Right, like they take out literally every dime for their savings account, wrap it in fucking, you know, do, uh, elastic bands, and take a picture of it. That yeah, oh, yeah, like that, that, all that shit. That's just yeah, that, that happens, yeah. right? And then they sell themselves, and and you love those guys. Those guys are my yeah. favorite guys and girls because they go from personal training to business entrepreneurial oh, enlightenment. Right. Oh, God. And God. you know where I'm going with this because in our industry, that is the number one thing that you can do right now. And it's been going on for about three or four years mm-hmm. and it's yeah. personal trainers that got into personal training because they only wanted to work about 15 hours a week. Right. Yeah. And they wanted to go to the beach and they wanted to lift weights and they wanted to be in the environment 24 seven. Then from there, they have the harsh, but honest realization that shit, a, I'm not that great at what I'm doing. And B, I got to work a lot more in as a on the floor trainer if I want to hit the financial reward that I have in my mind. So then yeah. they turn around and instead of training people, this was the big trend and it's still going on. Then they became, I'm going to teach people how to get other people to sign up for their programming. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I've gone through and Hey, I've gone through my share of business coaches and Yep. Some have been extremely helpful, and yep. uh, and even in ways that I didn't think of at the time, I'd be like, "Why am I paying for this?" And then all of a sudden, I realize I'm making more money just because I'm, you know, I am surrounded by new ideas, and, yep. I, and I, you know, it just made me hungrier, made me more receptive. And I've I've gotten some coaching that's been just I might as well have taken my my Canadian dollars and just dumped lighter fluid on it, and you know, thrown a lighter on it. It's just, just burnt it up, man. Yeah, like. You know, fortunately, I I haven't done that too terribly often, but it's that's the thing. And you summed it up is that it's personal training is a grind. So yep, every, everyone's like, okay, well, I'll do online coaching, or or I'll sell design products, or I'll do something on the internet. 
But if, if you're gonna do that well, it's a fucking grind too. It's and... a it's a grinder, dude. Like, I will give you a perfect example. When I decided, and, and maybe I'm just an old school, you know, fucking meatball upstairs. But I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna do this this podcast, I want to make sure that I do it a properly to the best of my ability. But I started doing podcasting last Thursday, and as of right now, I've recorded give or take 23 hours of interviews. <laughs> right? Because in my mind, it's like, if I'm going to do this, yeah. I'm, I'm going to make sure I get really good guests. I'm going to make sure that we have a, a good conversation and the people that are listening, and this is where, you know, our old school mentalities come in and, and you can relate to this as a coach. I'm going to make sure that if somebody gives me 70 minutes of their time, they don't regret it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, and, and that's really very insightful that you say that because now there's this whole push like, oh, you got to be in this channel. Oh, you got to be, you know, you got to be doing. I've seen recommendations. Okay, you got to post on Instagram three times a day and post on Instagram stories once a day. And this is the kind of content you got to have and put yep. this in your hashtags. Then Facebook, have this on your personal page, this on your business page, do this in your private training group twice a day yep three times you know three times a day or whatever on fucking twitter and just it goes on and on and if you you know and i've tried to do that in in, in and of course in blogging and stuff like that yep and i've tried to do that and hit all these targets and i've gotten nowhere nowhere um, and, right. well i shouldn't well i shouldn't say nowhere i've just i've just driven myself into literally a 20 hour a day work like literally all you do is work Okay, so so you're bringing up a really good point that I'm dealing with right now because <clears throat> someone who I consider to be really good at this side of it, someone that, okay, so you'll know what I'm about to say, someone that tells me when to put the Instagram up, um, yep. but the same person also wants me to do like uh, click funnel programming so nope. that I can yeah. funnel people into my programs and I'll make more money. They want yep. me to do uh, webinars. Um, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. right. And, and they, so they want me to put out all this huge content, huge amounts of content. And then, but they keep saying, don't worry. Once you get it set up, it automates itself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh God. I don't remember ever being an automated personality. Dude, it, it, that whole mentality. And I do it too. Like I've got I should fuck. I don't even know. I think I've got a, a, an autoresponder sequence of some fashion on my website. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I do. I should check that. Um, but yeah, and it funnels people in and it gives them some content. But you know, the thing is, and I get it for collecting names and your email addresses and Absolutely. getting people into your. Yep. But then people try to apply that to coaching, and that is where. Holy fuck! Things fall off the wheels, or the wheels fall off really, really quickly. Yes. Like people just do not respond that way, and and we know this because we've actually fucking worked with people. Yep. And um, and of course they the software they design, like like the training software to you know to 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 coach online. It doesn't. It's designed by somebody who's never really trained properly because it doesn't take into account like. It's difficult to change things on the fly. Yep. It's cumbersome. And so there's all these different, you know, training software options. And it's just, it's just, 
it just screams infancy like this the the industry is just kind of embracing the technology and it's yep. now like they're they're just in the middle of getting all the bugs worked out and and so see and that's how i feel about it as well because for example another really close friend of mine she uh figured out instagram right away and yeah. and she she's not a, a fitness competitor or a fitness personality per se. She's actually a doctor, but she trains really hard. She looks really good. And mm-hmm. so, you know, being an analytical mind, a number a couple of years back, she figured out the algorithms for Instagram. And she openly, mm-hmm. you know, explained this to me. And she's like, well, this is how I did it. And she went from zero to 50,000 followers in the blink of an eye or what seemed like it, right? Yeah. And so about a month ago, she was really frustrated with it because what she realized is Instagram keeps manipulating their algorithm to make it more sophisticated, but also so people can't spam the shit out of each other, right? Totally. And what she realized is that my like organic Instagram account that I've been fucking laboriously building for three years is getting more daily viewers than her 50,000 followers were. And right. And she's just like, and the reason is, is because your information is getting shown to people and it's being shared and you don't have any algorithm blocks to who gets to see your stuff. So it's just Instagram's like, Oh, this is an original account. We just let whatever he writes flow. And so she started over and she's, you know, she's at like maybe 500 followers right now after maybe a week or so, cause she still is who she is. Good looking chick that works out. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and, but at the end of the day, she's had posts with 500 followers get more reach than when she had 50,000. Yeah. So, like, so now you have to ask yourself, like you say, the infancy stage, we got people spending money out the ass to become Instagram professionals only to find out <laughs> that the system isn't the system they thought it was. No. And it's, you know, and it's owned by Facebook now. And, yep, you know, it just, you know, as my, if you ever listen to my friend Saul Orwell talk, like his, he will beat you over the head with, you got to get the email address, you know, yep. you know, stop, you know, stop relying on Facebook, stop relying on, on social just because, you know, at any point, man, they could change their algorithm or fucking yep. shut it down, take their ball and go home. Take and their ball if, and go home. Yep. And if, if your business is built entirely on that, you are screwed, you know, 100% um, screwed. And, and that's like the friend of mine in Ontario though, that wants me to be a little more, uh, automated, um, one thing that she always says is it's like, listen, if you're not getting email addresses at the end of the day, you're not doing anything. Yeah. And because I still have the same email address I've had for half a decade. Right. So if you're not spamming the shit out of somebody and they block you to death, that's still more than likely the best way to get a hold of somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, yeah, totally. Like that is, yeah, that is still, again, I'm, it, I, I hate to speak like I'm an expert in all this because at the end of the day, I look at myself and I'm just a fucking coach, man, it, right. I'm a, who writes about fitness and stuff. So, yep. you know, all these people give me all these sound bites like I just shared, like, oh, if you're not getting email addresses, you know, like, you know, like this all stuff that I just keep hearing from other people. So I assume, you know, I, I assume it's correct. And, and it probably is, but it just shows you how in my limited time, like farting around online or in a living, I mean, there's been 
you know, you mentioned podcasting, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, remember, there's Periscope. I remember that was around for a while. Yeah, I remember I doing just... a couple Periscopes. And <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, I made it two Periscopes. I made it two. And, and, and you know what? What fucked me for Periscope? I'll give you like, here's the two reasons I took Periscope off my phone. And for anybody that listening that I think Periscope is owned by Twitter. Fuck you, oh, Twitter. Uh, yeah, because uh, I think you guys were up to some no good bullshit. Okay, yeah. so this is why I ditched Periscope. First reason. <laughs> First reason. As soon as I start interacting on a live feed like that, and my brain has no choice but to read the comments that are coming up. And when I, <laughs> when I start speaking, period, and I'm like, hey, welcome to the show. Today we're going to talk about A, B, and C. And the very first comment is, fuck you, fucking Baldy. <laughs> right? Like, I haven't even spoke. And somebody I've never even met on this planet, their first instinct is to be like, fuck you and fuck what you got to say. Right? Like, you're just like... <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't even get the ball rolling. And and so I see that. And, and it's probably one your fucking friends, though. That's the funny thing. One time I was cranking one out when I was in France, right? And, I, <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm going to do this Periscope here at the hotel in France. It's going to be awesome. So who's awake and who jumps on right away? Well, French people in France. And when they oh. realize that this big, you know, Scandinavian-looking Canadian that speaks dick all for French is about to give a, a periscope from their God loved country. It yeah. was like every possible like way that you could call an Anglo a piece of shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I had to go back and get out like a French to English translator just to keep up with all the insults I was getting in French purely for being on the soil. Right. Like it had nothing to do with the podcast. So that was number one, why periscope took a shit for me number two and and this is the big one and i don't know if people realize this but periscope was live live feed right so periscope was whoever thought that they could make themselves famous and i remember being like oh this is super cool so i go in and i would just click on one of the little blue dots in like wherever'sville america right yeah and so i'm like oh it's two in the morning in louisiana i'm like Wow, I can only imagine what this is about. (laughs) (laughs) And and so you click on that button, and you were getting one of two things. You were getting a group of teenagers that were just smoking a boatload of weed in their front room. That was was like one like fishbowl experience you're going to get. Or two, you were getting a suspect male or female (laughs) that was maybe trying to get too much attention on social media. Yeah. And and the first time that that happened to me, I'd already broadcast two of mine, and then I and then I realized I could watch other broadcasts live, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is a fucking disaster!" And that was yeah. it. That was the end. Periscope was done for me, and 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 I even took it off my phone because I'm just like, "This is a broken one." Like they didn't think this through at all, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if it, I assume it's still around. I don't know. I'm sure it is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, it, it's funny like I, i've you know people like you know my colleagues who are younger than me like they always make fun of me because i'm such a you know techno luddite whatever I, I i'm so slow to embrace new technology and i'm always kind of like the curmudgeon in the corner but right um 
And the same, at the same breath, though, I always have a, a bit of, not a chip on my shoulder, but a little bit of, of confidence because I know that if this fucking house of cards falls apart tomorrow, right. that I can go to, you know, any one of the Globo gyms in my neighborhood and I can put on the shirt and I can get a job Yep. and I could probably be, you know, do well because yep. I still have that skill set. Yes. Um, and a lot of these people, they just don't. And it's reflected in the programming I see. And, yeah. you know, just like, wow, like you don't, you know, like it just, you've, I could just see it. Like you've never worked with a real life human. Like, especially if they, they fed like gen pop, like they're given all this, like this cool shit yep. to, you know, a person who's never really done a weight training workout before, or, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. It's, it's all this completely out of context shit. And, um, it's out of context. It's out of order. Um, the thing that's really shocking about it is a lot of people that, you know, that used to sort of, you know, muster up the enthusiasm to go to a gym for the first time and like, be like, okay, I'm going to make a life change today. I'm going to go work with a trainer. He's going to, he's going to teach me or she's going to teach me. Now they're actually buying what they think to be like uh, an introductory workout from an online personality. And maybe even the online personality has a webinar, you know, because they click funnel, right? So they have a webinar system. So it's like you buy my program, then I funnel you into the webinars for an extra upgraded price. And then for another upgraded price, we can have a phone consult. And when everything's said and done, basically you still have the same person that has no idea how to speak gym language. Yeah. Right. They've now got the program. They've had the conversation, (laughs) you know, they watch a video of someone doing a one arm dumbbell row. And then the real part of it shows up. The real part is, is Mrs. So-and-so walks into that meat factory for, (laughs) you know, for the first time where people are gross and rude and posturing and, and, hogging shit and all of a sudden they see the girl in the the spanks and the sports bra that yeah, with her butt in the air with yeah, her butt yeah. in the air and four guys staring at it and she's yeah. like holy shit how do yeah. i i should have hired someone to take me through this shark infested water totally totally and it's and it's really humbling like I'll, it was funny like when i was still you know, living in new york and i was doing because I was, you know what this is like, I was like a Canadian in the States and I was, everything I urged was online just to yep. avoid getting thrown out of the country. <laughs> um, and then um, all of a sudden I was, you know, my wife's school ended and we were back in Canada and, and, you know, I was like, okay, I gotta, I'm, I'm legal again. I gotta start, I gotta get a real life job. So I right. immediately, you know, I was, what's the fastest way to make money quickly is personal training. So I immediately hooked up with a guy I know and, and got a few clients, but it had been, probably three years since I worked with someone on the gym floor. Right. And so this is about, so now I'm back and I'm working with a couple of guys and they're, it was two guys together and they're both like early forties, decent shape, but you know, kind of, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Weekend warriors. Yep. And I remember first session, I gassed them with the warm up. Right. And, and I'm just like, fuck. And I was so embarrassed because I was like, I, I'm in this world. I'm in this online world where Everyone I'm talking to is other fucking fitness pros or their other co- – you know what I mean? And, yep. you all, and you're all looking at each other's shit and you're not – and you're trying it on yourself. Oh, because, you know, that's the best litmus test. You know, I'll, right. you know, I'll, I'll try this program myself. I've been tra- you know, training, training for 30 
You've been you know, training for 30 years, yeah, and you're exactly. like, yeah, shit, if yeah. I can handle this, anybody can, right? Yeah, you, yeah, you give it that one test, right? oh, this is easy, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and just, I remember, I found it so humbling, yeah. uh, just work, working with real people again. Like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta get my head out of my own ass and remember what that's like. And uh, so to this, you know, I, I think it's, if you don't have that base, you know, in, in strength and conditioning, especially to be a coach, like if you don't have that with real life people, you're just, you will be a terrible online coach. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Because the other thing that you see with a lot of these coaches and, and this is probably something that I think you'll be able to speak to in depth about is because we see a couple different mindsets out there. We have, you know, paleo keto, if it fits your macros, um, traditional bodybuilding diet stuff where people are just eating basically the souls of chickens and fucking broccoli every day. And, and you got that going on on one side and then they try to match it up with their programming. Right. So you got somebody that is like, okay, I don't believe in any metabolic or cardio work because I myself have only understood the bodybuilding side. So we control everything with the diet and then we do isolation work. And then you got the other side of it where you got somebody that is, you know, metabolically driven, but telling them to be on a ketogenic diet and not understanding that there may be an interplay there that doesn't work. So from your perspective, because I know you've seen this a lot, like how broken is it when you start to see not only online programming, but online nutrition programming to go with it? Oh, it's, it's, it's so myopic. Like it's it's so tribal right now. Like, you know, I'm a, people literally identify themselves by the diet they follow. Right. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm a macros guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, point B, like they count macros. That's how they manage their body composition. Or I'm a, you know, I'm a low carb guy. I'm a keto guy. You know, yep. now, now there's some fucking idiot who's, who's doing the all meat diet. You know, like it's, so it's, it's, you know, it's just, you can't have vegetables cause that, you know, Broccoli fucks everything up, you know, <laughs> you know, so, and it's just, it's just so funny. And, you know, whereas, you know, when you have a little bit of background in this and you work with different people, like people, real people eat food, right? So, you know what I mean? They don't eat macros. They like, they, so you first have to just educate them on such a basic level, like just making good food choices, you know? Right. And, you know, and, and making them in the context of being, you know, having a career and a family and kids and all that stuff. Yep. And, you know, and then figuring out, you know, what they naturally kind of gravitate to. Like if someone is just has a diversion to meat for whatever reason, you know, why would you try to pigeonhole them into your, like your all meat diet? Like, why would you, why would you chase failure like that? 100% because that that phrase is so true. Why would you chase failure? Because I think the the reason they do is because they don't really give a shit about anything other than the dollar bill that that person is going to give them. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that, and and it's always kind of frustrated me. There's a little kind of, I'm not going to say it's a game because that sounds, you know, kind of nefarious, but there's a little thing in coaching right now that, uh, especially online. Okay. If you give somebody a bunch of stuff to do, like a bunch of hoops to jump through. Yep. Okay. You got, you got to give me your macros every day, you know, and give me the, or the previous day down to the, the nearest, you know, nearest gram for protein, carbs and fat, you know, right. Or 
take a picture of all your six meals, you know, every day and send it to me. Right. You know, you have all these hoops for people to do that. If they actually do them, fuck, they're going to get success because they're like, they're like, they'll be so obsessed with like, that's all they'll be thinking about. Like, so of course they're going to get success. So it's kind of like, it gives this coach, it gives the coach an out yep. because, you know, you give this huge list of shit to do. The person doesn't do it. You know, they, they're not getting results. You could say, well, what the fuck? You know, you didn't take your six pictures that day. You know, <laughs> you know how are you supposed to lose fat? You're not taking your six pictures a day. Like, come on, man. You know, get with the program. Get with the program. And, and it's so funny because I remember, like, when Biosig was at its peak, you know, Charles was, you know, like, for people that hear me, sometimes I'll bust Charles's balls to the nth yeah. degree. And rightfully yeah. so. Because he busted mine, because <laughs> <laughs> he busted everybody's, um, <laughs> and and he used to have a very simple diet back before diets had names. But basically, yeah. he was if it you know <laughs> ran, walked, swam, or flew, and yeah. was a vegetable that was green, eat it, right? <laughs> and it was this really simplistic way of saying, listen, if you want to get lean, you got to eat really, really clean. Whatever yeah. that is. And and so and for a long time it fucking worked. Because for the majority of the population, uh myself included that came from power sports, you know, macros had names like donuts and spaghetti. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we uh we didn't really isolate or think about eating clean. We just ate food. Yeah. And then after a, a few years of him being on the lecture circuit, we saw the first flaw in the plan. And it was one of those funny things that I had to make mention because I was like, listen, I'm like, if I don't say something, the, the fucking wheels are going to come off hard, right? Because yeah. yeah. we, were, we were in front of way too many people at this point. You know, we were getting, yeah. you know, Biosig alone, we were probably doing about 1,200 coaches a year. Yeah. And, uh, and, he, and I'm like, hey, Charles. I'm like, uh, isn't it funny how you immediately you immediately do a Charles Falcon fucking accent when, when you hey, do Charles. It? <laughs> if, if people could see me right now, I got like one side of my face like snarled up too. I'm like, hey, hey, fucker. Okay, so let me tell you about something. So, <laughs> so Charles is like, uh, I go up to him one day and I'm like, hey, Charles. I'm like, I'm. I, I think you need to address this during lecture. And we were in Amstead, Sweden. I'm like, I think you need to address this in this lecture. And he's like, what's that? And I'm like, well, everybody's doing a really good job with the paleo eat clean proteins and lots of green vegetables thing. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it just happens naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it, mate. What do you got to say? So I'm like, uh, I'm like, well, here's here's the deal. There's some girls in the front of the room that have been coming to our seminars now for three years. And I don't know how to politely say this, but they're actually getting fatter. And yeah. he's like, he's like, huh? And he's like, well, do they train hard? I'm like, they train really hard. I go, the problem yeah. is, is you're starting to see them lose enthusiasm because they're not losing yeah. any fucking weight. And he's like, so, so what do you think I should tell him? I'm like, well, this is just an observation, right? And I always used to be like very political about it. <laughs> And I'm like, one of the girls has consumed what I would guess to be three to four kilos of chicken breasts in the last two days. And he's like, holy shit. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, she came in with a Tupperware container that you would fit an old record in. And it was full of chicken breast, 
full. So we're talking, you know, and I'm not joking, eight or nine pounds. And all she did all day, every day to starve off the desire to eat bad was consume what I can only guess to be hundreds, if not thousands of calories of chicken. Good Lord. As a a 125 pound girl. And it's like, that's not including her vegetables that. So I'm like, they're overeating at the end of the day. You've made it so strict that they're going crazy, right? They're literally chicken crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I, yeah, that, that was, I remember, (laughs) I remember those days. Well, um, just just, (laughs) (laughs) well, Hey man, if you don't take 40 grams of fish oil a day, you won't lose body fat. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, in Charles, but you know, in Charles's defense, man, like when I, you know, he, you know, it's better. I do, man. Like he, man, he got people to train hard. Yes. So, so, you know, you know, whenever people bash him or not even or criticize, I'm always like that guy got people to train hard. Yep. So Charles, oddly enough, falls into the, you know, not completely, but I, yeah. I, I will use often the same type of statement towards a generality towards Charles as I do towards CrossFit. And yeah. what that general statement is, at least they inspire people to pick up a barbell. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. And in my relationship with Charles goes back to when, you know, it's sort of funny and I I don't talk about this much on, uh, publicly, but so so when I met Charles, I didn't meet him as my employer. I met Mm -hmm. Charles when I was at the top of my athletic game. So Charles was like this dude in Phoenix that we went down and saw and had a couple conversations with because Judd and Charles were such tight buddies. Yeah. So I didn't look at him as a guru. I looked Mm -hmm. at him as a coach that was working with professional athletes at the time and was, you know, had this weird eccentric way about him where, you know, like I remember my very first conversation with Charles Poliquin in real life. I, I was an athlete. It was in the fall. I go down to, to Scottsdale, Arizona to his center, um, before he, before he blew up into what he became. And, uh, and he, and they did a bunch of treatments on my reconstructed patella tendon. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, hurting a little bit, but I had some range back. And, and, and so this was my first meeting with the man. He hadn't really spoke to me yet. And I'd been there a day. Right. Yeah. And so he's like, eh, Hey mate, <laughs> he's like, eh, Hey mate, get in the squat rack. I want to see a squat on that new knee. And I'm like, yeah. okay. So they're like, use a safety bar. Uh, I don't want no bullshit. I just want to see you move. I'm like, okay. So I, I'm like nervous, right? Cause I know yeah. who he is. So I get yeah. in and, and, and Nelson Iode is working for him at the time. And Nelson yeah, went on yeah. to be at St. Louis blues head strength coach. Right. So yeah. Nelson is the one that's doing all the talking and Charles is doing the Charles part. And, yeah. and so I squat down to what I thought was a comfortable squat, but quite frankly, yeah. I was pretty beat up from all the treatment. And like, I get down to what I think is end range and I'm yeah. telling you, I'm way below parallel. And he's like, <laughs> and so he's like, eh, just makes that noise. Eh. And I, and I sort of look up and he's like, stand up. So I stand up and he's like, all right, this time fucker do it again, but don't do any of that bullshit fucking Nebraska shit. That was his coaching <laughs> keys. Right. And I'm like, so in my head, I'm like, I've been cursed at by this French guy, but I don't know what yeah. bullshit Nebraska shit is. Cause I'm like, I don't know what that is. So if I do it again, 
will I know? <laughs> right? So, so I just fucking squat again. He's like, again, he's like, eh, too fucking, too, too fucking high. That's that bullshit yeah. fucking Nebraska shit. And I'm like, oh, what you're telling me to do is to squat deeper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can do that. But you need to speak to me in English. So, <laughs> and that was my first experience with him. So people were like, ah, how did you meet Charles Falkland? I'm like, well, he swore at yeah. me a lot and he fixed my knee. Right? Like, but, that was him. But, and, but boy, could he make, he could just make adjustments so quickly. Yes. You know, like that's, if, you know, you would know better than me. Like, you're a much higher level coach than I am. But like his like his ability to like spot flaws really fast and and make the right correction yep you know i always always you know i always admired that and i still admire it and i and i know yeah. i bust balls and 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 charles knows that i haven't spoke to him in a long time and yeah and it's one of the negatives of having worked in his company when things went really sideways um <laughs> but the truth of the matter is if, if regardless of what people want to believe, Charles yeah. Poliquin is a master level strength coach, like a fucking yeah. master level. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And there's not a lot of master level strength coaches out there. Now, we lose that a little bit because of all the social media stuff and the need to make yeah, a dollar yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but if you were to go work with Charles Poliquin 10 years ago in Phoenix, Arizona, or 15 years ago now, like Adam Nelson did. And that's yeah. why Adam Nelson, who's a gold medalist in the Olympics, still speaks of him so highly. If you went and worked with Charles back then, you absolutely were getting better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. There, was, there was no question marks. If you needed to gain muscle, you gained muscle. If you had to get really fucking yeah. strong, you got really fucking yeah. strong, right? Was, and yeah, like even for me, like from a gem pop, like the first few times I would consult with him, it was just for my own, like, oh, I just want to be bigger. I want to be leaner. Yep. And everything he told me to do, even if I wouldn't, you know, someone I go, I'm not going to do that in the back of my mind. Right. And then years later, I'd try it and it fucking would work. Yep. 100%, <laughs> man. 100%. Like there was a lot of stuff that became, you know, product, product yeah. from it. Right. Like, so. You know, like a course that people may not even be familiar with was called Pimpsed. Mm -hmm. And basically it was point-specific muscle stimulation. And yeah. and people are like, ah, you know, I, I don't know if it worked, this or that. And it's like, yeah, some of it needed to be refined. But that system was just an extension of applied kinesiology, which has been around forever. Yeah. And all he was doing was creating a simplistic way of getting that information, which if you study applied kinesiology can be quite complex, is he got the nuts and bolts of it to coaches so that they could get some of these quick fixes and, and neurostims to happen on the weight room floor. And I think, you know, as a bit of a tangent, how we got on the Charles is always funny, but the one thing that you can't deny about Charles Poliquin is he has done a masterful way of taking shitloads of information and condensing it into user-friendly systems. I, it, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was literally going to make this my Facebook post today, as if that's a meaningful thing. But like, <laughs> because, because that very point, because about five years ago, I think I was even still a teenager at the time. I don't know. Yep. He he released an article called like the five elements. I think of, of strength and conditioning or something, or the or the the, the or something. The, it used like Chinese medicine. To yeah, I, I may have made fun of this on Ecobolic Radio, yep. but it's a very true, true, true thing. It's the it, alchemy of strength and conditioning 
personality types. If and the thing is, nobody, everyone ripped him a new one over it. Yep. And and I maintain it's probably one of his best articles. If you just whoever edited it wasn't me, could have yep. been TC. I don't know. If you took all the Chinese shit out of it and just said, yep, there's five types of lifters. Some you know revol- res- respond to intensity, some to volume, some to variety. Yes. Um. Some what was the other one? Uh, some res- some respond to everything and and some are not and some are non-responders. Exactly. And, and if you this is how you identify them. That if you fucking read that article with you know non jaded eyes and hating yeah. eyes, yep, it would instantly make you a better coach. It instantly, instantly. made me instantly, instantly. Like, like if you can spot that someone is you know he's a Charles is a, is a volume bitch versus like an intensity <laughs> whore, right? You know you will fucking save them so much trial and error. And I I just did a consult today with a guy, and he's is. is Training's gone to shit, and he feels terrible. And I'm like, well, and he's describing his training, and he's doing all this low rep, you know, limit strength shit. And he's yep. built, he's, you know, he's built definitely much more for a lower intensity, just more of a traditional bodybuilding approach. Yep. And it's just, I basically just ran that article through my head while he was talking, and it's just, it's just interesting in this industry how, you know, things can be just misconstrued or misapplied or whatever, and the. You know, because people aren't fans and how that article yeah. came up on the podcast was actually with Ryan family and I, a, a, a few shows back and, and we were just sort of having a general conversation about the industry and, and Charles came up obviously because we both worked for him, but we yeah. were just talking about lineage of thought and, and yeah. you know, of course it probably came up pretty colorfully as it usually does. <laughs> and, uh, but where yeah. that comes from, so it, to, to clarify for people that may have missed that episode and are talking about it now, the five element thing, all right, everyone's like, ah, oh, it's, it's so fucking stupid. He, he's making all these correlations to this information or that information or the Chinese uh, elements like yeah. you're talking about or the alchemy. Okay. Yeah. If you get rid of the flash of the article being written and you take yeah. it for the information, yeah. that information was his evaluation and his study of fucking Anatoly Bondarchuk's 30 years of Soviet periodization. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, so what people have to understand is that is where he got that. And that Mm -hmm. article started being, they began, he began writing that article back in like 2003 or four. And I remember him calling Judd at Judd's house during a barbecue that we were attending, asking for parameters of what Anatoly Bondarchuk was doing with athletes based on volumes and intensities because he was writing an article about it. And then as it comes out, it comes out as the five elements of human performance and how physical and physiological characteristics fall into those five elements. And people go apeshit. They're like, that's, that's bullshit. That's this, that's that. And you're like, motherfuckers, that is an article about Anatoly Bondarchuk's experiences with human periodization of volume, volume intensity, or intensity-based athlete parameters. And, and but wow. because of the tribalism, you know, because by then, you know, like you know, Charles had made some enemies on social media and stuff. Why? Like, oh, blasphemy! Blasphemy! <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that article's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. I'm just like, fuck you. If you just, if you just remove your 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 Hayden lenses and just like look at what's there that like that reading this 2000 word article will make you infinitely better coach infinitely better and and for those that are hearing it for the first time I challenge you 
if you want some knowledge and understanding of, of physiology types and training, go back and I don't know even where to find it anymore. Try, I would try TMAG, maybe even his old website, but just Google Charles Poliquin and the five elements. Yeah. It is worth, absolutely worth the read. 100%. And, and I think you make a super valuable point. And, and you, you keep referring to it. And I think it's, it's so important is the tribalism of our industry. The, you know, to the point where we're, we're becoming almost religious yeah. in our isolation of thinking where every person that has a, a, okay. So even though I like some of the stuff he, he writes and talks about, but you could damn near say that there's the religion of Gary V on the internet. Oh, totally. Yeah. Right. right? And people are like, no, no, I, I, I'm not that into it. And it's like, really, yeah. motherfucker? Because I'm pretty sure you've posted 17,000 Gary V memes on your Instagram this month. So if you're not devoted, and I mean devoted, you wouldn't do that. Uh, I mean, that is how, when you, you get really out there thinking, I mean, that's how religions start, right? Well, and it's just, it's human nature that, well, I think it's human nature, at least, or unless you become a little bit more highly involved, like, right. that when, like when someone says something really stupid, yep. that you really like, oh, you really like, oh, that's fucking asinine, this person is, you know, this person is garbage, this, and you immediately ignore maybe a bunch of the other stuff that they've done that's being helpful or meaningful or, or just, and you key in on that one thing that maybe you didn't agree with, or maybe that was, or was, or, or that sucked. You know, if right. you're, if, if you're proficient enough, you're going to put out stuff that sucked. And you mentioned Gary V. Like I've always been a fan. Yep. Um, you know, not like reposting his stuff, but you know, I like what always, he has to say. Yep. Yeah, totally. And I remember once he put out a message, what was it like? He gave somebody some advice, like, you know, you should go out and make a, a, a shoot a video every day, just stand on the street corner and, you know, and, and interview people for 10 minutes every day and do this and to build a following. And I remember thinking, that's terrible advice. You're just telling people to make shitty content. Yes. And, and, and I remember like for the rest of the day, I was kind of thinking, oh, fuck Gary V. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I had the exact same thing happen. Yeah. And then meanwhile, this is somebody who's like I've been profoundly kind of influential. I mean, I've really enjoyed his work and I, you know, bought his books and, and all this shit, and, you know, and he puts out one thing I don't agree with. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck that guy. Yep. You know, <laughs> you know, and that's just, I think it's kind of human nature. And, and, you know, we, we just kind of revert into our camps and, you know, no, that person just puts out shit. I don't like them. You know, I only like what this person says until they do me wrong. And then I'm like violated. And, right. You know, like somehow you, your trust has been jeopardized yeah. by their, you know, yeah. extravagant talk. Right. And, yeah. and I, the same thing happened to me. Like, I, so I always, I always typically check out Gary V. I like what he has to say. I think he's a realist. Yeah. yeah. And, and one day he had this guy on a short video on Instagram and it wasn't even Gary V that pissed me off. It was, <laughs> it was the guy sitting next to him. So he had this guy sitting next to him chewing on a toothpick. And he was like a total yes man, but like a real creepy yes man where he wasn't like, yeah, Gary, yeah. I, I really like what you have to say. He would be like, start nodding, making these huge body like, like <laughs> convulsions and like raising the roof when Gary was like hitting like certain phrases. Cool. And then he like got so excited, he spit out his toothpick and then he had to reach, which apparently he keeps a lot of, he immediately reaches for another fresh toothpick. And I remember watching it and the, 
the, the basic message of the video was, don't worry if you fail, you can always get a job, right? That's, yeah. that's what the message was. And I remember same thing. I sat back and I was like, you know what? Fuck Gary V. Fuck two chick. <laughs> right. I'm like, that's not information. Of course you can always get a job. Basically you just told everybody go for broke. And if you fuck up, don't worry. You can just go back to being a normal human being. And, yeah. and the same thing happened to me. I made this switch judgment on a person because I was like, I don't like toothpick face and I don't like what you got to say. Right. <laughs> and none of it had any, like, I had no absolute, like, reason for it other than this 2.4 second gut reaction. I made a meme about it on my Insta story and was like, fuck it. <laughs> fuck this guy. <laughs> fuck this guy. Right. And, and it was so ridiculous because the very next day he said something and I was like, man, that's way, way to go, very way to go, Gary V. You, you really got it loaded. Thank God you yeah. got rid of toothpick. Right. So. <laughs> It is. It's that tribalism and it's so fragile. It's like we've advanced to this world of technology, but, and correct me if I'm wrong, we've advanced to this world of incredible technology where we have now regressed to immediately beating each other with sticks and stones. Oh, it's brutal. It is. Well, fuck, you know, not to get all political, but you know, just have to, just have to turn on, you know, Fox or CNN. It's just, it is crazy and it's crazy. definitely in our industry man and you know it, it is people are just drawn into their camps and they are and any it's it's almost like it's if it's, it's just a violation to suggest they do something other than right. whatever diet they're following or, or, or whatever type of training modality they're following or whatever and it's just it's doing the industry no services no services and, and you know and and then you see the people who last longer, though they're you know they definitely have their their niche, their bodybuilding or their or whatever you know, but they're much more you know receptive to at least hearing new ideas and maybe you know disagreeing with someone on some part on some fronts, but agreeing with others. And yep, I mean it's just I don't know. I wish the world was more like that. It'd just be you know both our industry and the world at large just be a much more pleasant place to be. Like fuck. I will get in arguments about training and diet and shit, but I'll never like get legitimately like upset. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> like, like, know. like you're not going to lose friends over a bicep curl no. variation. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, like it's it just, yeah, I guess you draw the line. that's like flat out, you know, fraudulent hucksterism trying to like, yep. you, know, take, you know, take somebody's mortgage away. Like, but I mean, fuck people, people make mistakes. People learn, people, you know, change their views. Absolutely. Like, you know, good. like we should reward that, you know? Yeah. You, it's like uh, Jeff Nichols and I spoke uh, a couple days ago and, and Jeff transitioned out of the tier one elite special forces of the Navy SEALs into strength and conditioning. So he comes from like a life and death background to having yeah. to like remarket himself in a world of a very fast and, and very weakly shifting hands. Right. And so for yeah. him, it's like, uh, it's been, it's been a bit of an eye opener, but he made a, he's extremely intelligent. He made a, a, an interesting statement. He said, we're moving into a world of incredible information, but very little knowledge. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think he really summed it up with that in my opinion, because there is a shitload of information but oh fuck yeah 
you're, you're we're beaten over the head with it, like constantly, you know, getting hammered with it. But how much of it is fucking, yeah, how much of it is useful? How much of it, is, you know, moves the needle? Right. Yeah. That That's a good point. It's like if you really wanted to make a difference in your industry, how much do you or your ideas actively work to move the needle of expectation as a whole? Or are you just simply putting out soundbite regurgitation and trying to make money mm-hmm. off of it? Right. There's, it seems exactly. like there's two big camps yeah. there. It, it is. It's funny you say that. Like, you know, I'm still, you know, fumbling my way through a career and, and, you know, jumping on trends and when I probably shouldn't. And whenever I feel stagnant and whenever I kind of feel like, fuck, I got to make more money or I got to be more impactful or have more meaning. That's a big thing as I get older is I want to get more meaning out of my work. Right. When I, like whenever I get that, I go, I try to step back, I get off of fucking social media and I go to my clients and I'm like, I look at their programs and I look at their, their progress and I reach out and I just like my, I do this really kind of like seemingly like silent work. And, but just with the people that actually are invested in me. Right. And that, you know, and that's, you know, and invariably I seem to do, I'll do better financially that way. People stay longer. People will, you know, I'll attract new people. And that's always been kind of, you know, that, that's where I turtle back to. Whereas before I mean, Oh, I got to jump on this thing. Got to jump on that thing. You know, I, I taught now I'm kind of like regressing. Okay. How can I make this one person who's invested in me? You know, what can I find to make their program better? What can I find to, you know, help them stick to this lifestyle a little bit better. Right. You know, and actually you know. make a long-term adjustment in a human being's life. Yeah, exactly. So with someone that's, you know, obviously been on with the iron for 30 years, somebody that has seen behind more curtains of this industry than we can even get into on this podcast. If you were to to close out today with like just a couple piece of his, pieces of advice for those that do legitimately want to reach out to people using social media or online programming or getting into quality blog writing, not just uh, clickbait, what would you recommend based on just your experiences, not even being an expert or not an expert, but mm. just how you've gone about it and how you've maintained relevance? Oh, well, well, well <laughs> I hope I am relevant. <laughs> but... Uh, well, it's funny you mentioned that because like my thing has always been kind of writing, right? You know, that's always been, you know, it, it, that's been my, whatever my, that's my Instagram. That's my fucking periscope, you know, like it, it's writing. And, um, I haven't done a blog in a while, mind you, because I've allowed myself to kind of fall out of the process and the, the more process oriented you can get in whatever like whatever things you're, you're really, really special at, like for you, it's obviously speaking and coaching. Um, like if you drill down and figure out what, what is my winning process at, at doing this, you know, and how can I replicate it every day? How can I kind of build my business around being exceptional at, at doing this thing every day and like really nailing down again, that process and right. just using writing as an example, people think, you know, writing is about inspiration that they're going to go out and, you know, get, Oh, I'm inspired. I'm jump on my computer. And that happens sometimes, but much more than that, especially if you ask somebody who actually writes for a living, right. Pays their mortgage. It's fucking just sitting down and banging the keys, man. And it is just working and it is just getting your ideas out. And then it germinates and it always, you know, it, it spills into something actually decent. Yep. And so it's, I think a lot of people are, 
especially in our industry, they're just they're looking at the end results of things and they're not looking at all the to borrow and overplay Gary's the, like the grind, like in that daily process yep. you know, that that goes into it. But you can't do that with everything, right? Like you can't you can't have this fucking amazingly disciplined. I get up at five in the morning, I get on my computer and I bang out a thousand words. You can't you you can't apply that to ten different things, right? Right. You, you got to kind of pick your battles. And for me, like the last few years has been that's probably been the biggest thing I've learned is that like fuck I can't. I got to sort of do everything, but I got to, you know, I got to, maybe I'll pay some people to do some stuff and I'll half-ass a few others, but I got to pick my couple of things and that's where I put my energy. That's where I, you know, get up in the morning. That's the first thing I do, you know. 100%. And you make a really good point because we we're moving into this Tim Ferriss based ideology where it's better to be a jack of all trades than a niche master, right? Like he's written that in the last couple of years and, and, and sure to some degree that's becoming more the case with a lot of different people and a lot of different things. But I still argue that we need people that specialize in a couple areas because we need people that are really, really good at certain things. And, and I think that, yeah, you can have a lot of hobbies and you can yeah. have a lot of things that you're into but you really need to identify your strengths early to be successful long-term. Yeah. And protect them. Like fucking be like, just like, that's like your, your family, man. You protect it with all you have. That is who you are. Like my brother yeah. works in industry. So social media ends tomorrow. Doesn't affect his life at all. Doesn't yeah. affect it at all. And what social media, uh, in, in this side of the industry they, 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 they need to realize this because it's really important. There's no app for medicine. There's yeah. no website for petroleum geology. So <laughs> <laughs> contrary to popular belief, those people don't give a shit about your Instagram page. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a reality. And I think that it's really important that people remember that there's still a gigantic sector of the, of the, of the society that is mastering stuff and mm -hmm. mastering it in a way like going back to your comment where if the lights go out tonight, can you go over to global gym and properly train somebody to make a living and put food on the table? Yeah. And that's, that's a huge thing. And in, I know that we did a lot of basic, almost like uh, industry commentary in this podcast, but I think it's really important that, some people just sit down and listen to a couple guys that have been around for a couple decades talking about what it's like. And before I let you go, what is the easiest way that people can get a hold of you? Obviously, for your coaching and your programming, because that inevitably. It's Periscope, man. Fucking point me Periscope. So, Brian Crown's going to be on Periscope tonight, and he would really like it if you just call him a fuckface over and over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, I, I do have a, yeah, you can find me on my blog. It's uh, briancron.com, B-R-Y-A-N-K-R-A-H-N.com. And I'm on Facebook. That's my, it's my big social media channel. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah, those are, those are probably the best ways. Yeah, because you're quite active on Facebook, correct? Yeah, that's, well, it's an extension of writing. So, yep. I, yeah, that's, that's where I put most of my eggs until, until Zuckerberg shuts it down. And then, you know, you know is MySpace still alive? <laughs> you know, it's only a matter of time before MySpace comes back, right? <laughs> MySpace. 
Well, that's crazy talk. Yeah, it's uh, if you were to give on closing one piece of advice to somebody that does want to legitimately get into editorial or writing, where and what would you tell them to do? Write, 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 or is it more complex than that? You know, it, as contrived as it, I would say it would be write, 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 and, and just and just bang out like bang out articles, send them, get feedback, and hopefully the feedback just tears it apart. Yep. You know, and just um, like I was so, you know, I was so blessed. Like I got uh, linked up with Lou Schuler um, when I was about ten years ago, and he's just like such an exceptional editor as well as a writer and just an all-around human being. Uh, and he's one of those few guys that you could send an article to and go, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And he'd just read it and just be like, "Oh, you know, you should do this and this and this." Right. Um, you know, and then, you know, those people are few and far between. But um, but yeah, to be better better at writing, you just you have to also just stop over romanticizing it. And it, it is a fucking craft, and you have to work at it. And it's like training. You got repetition, repetition, improvement, improvement. Yep. And and stop getting fucking married to your style. Try to be cute. Like, right. you know, you know, you can do the cute shit on Facebook, but, you know, more professional writing, you should be succinct to the point. Boom. Yep. Clean and yep. precise. Yep. Well, I can't thank you enough. I know that we can crush probably a couple more hours and it wouldn't <laughs> be that big of a deal. But uh, I definitely want to say thank you for coming on uh, the podcast as I get this thing rolling. It's uh, it's starting to pick up some steam. We've had some good guests and I feel like you being on is just adding to that list. Oh, thank you very much, man. It's uh, always a pleasure. Next time you're in Calgary, I don't, I don't get Filipino joke. <laughs> yeah, where, where they make this meat dish that looks like it turned in an inside-out squirrel. So, <laughs> Oddly enough, it had a fine flavor. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it greatly. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Woodsky on his Instagram or at DerekWitzke.com.